What did you eat for breakfast this morning? Oh, goodness. I'm a creature of habit, and I'm on a very strict diet, so I just do like five to six French toasts with two pieces of turkey bacon every single day. (laughs) And just a little dollop of syrup. Nothing serious. Just a little dollop. Welcome to Music on Your Own Terms, the podcast that aims to help musicians develop an entrepreneurial mindset through interviews, as well as discussing resources, concepts, successes, and more. Providing a platform to talk about negative emotions such as anxiety and depression in order to help overcome them in the context of music and reduce the social stigma. This is episode 110. So I have some fantastic news. You may remember from episode 90, I chatted to Craig Dodge about sync licensing and the course he runs under the name Ignite Your Music Career. I'm very pleased to welcome Ignite as a sponsor for the podcast from this episode forward. Musicians all over the world subscribe to Ignite Your Music Career and earn more royalties, more upfront sync fees, and more recurring revenue from their music. Whether you're a composer, singer-songwriter, band, beatmaker, or instrumentalist, your music can be earning you more money. Internationally acclaimed composer, musician, and music educator Craig Dodge has licensed his music in more than 1,000 TV show episodes, films, video games, and ads all over the world, and he will show you how you can too. Ignite gives you the information you need in a simple, accessible format, and you learn at your own pace. For $6 a month, you get a video lesson each week on topics related to music licensing, from writing techniques to how to find your markets, and everything in between. You also get tools and activities to build the skills you need to be successful. And each lesson includes a royalty-free sound pack to download and use in your own music. The key to success in the music business today is to diversify your sources of revenue. Ignite will show you how. For more information or to subscribe to Ignite, Visit the website at taris-studios.com or go to musiconyourownterms.com and click on the link. I really hope you'll go back to episode 90 and check out what Ignite is all about and get a rundown of what sync licensing is all about. Then go check out Ignite and for six bucks a month, you can't go wrong. I'm actually following the course myself right now and I really love how Craig has set this all out. To me, it really feels like a college level course and it's really easy to follow. I'm pretty confident that in a month or two, I'll have enough information to start my journey in sync licensing. As I go through the course, I'll definitely be telling you guys a little bit about it and how I'm finding it, and I hope you'll follow me on the journey. Just this week, I signed up for ASCAP. Homework for week one is complete. If you enjoy the podcast, there are a couple of ways you can show your support. Go to the store at store.musiconyourownterms.com and buy some merch. And at the same time, sign up for the mailing list to stay connected. Subscribe to the YouTube channel to get extra content you won't find anywhere else. And finally, head over to Podcast Magazine's website at podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot 50 and vote for Music on Your Own Terms in their Hot 50 monthly chart. This episode, it's my privilege to be talking with Mr. Angel Vivaldi, virtuoso instrumental guitarist, 
philanthropist, and one damn funny dude. Angel shares his journey from being inspired by Kurt Cobain to pick up the guitar, to becoming an accidental guitar hero, tour stories of disappearing sound guys, and a look into being endorsed and getting his own signature guitar that has become a production model. He also gives valuable insight into what it takes to be an independent instrumental musician, his philosophies on being ecologically responsible in producing your merch, and finally, some personal stories about his life, friends, and family. Welcome to another episode of the Music on Your Own Terms podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mr. Angel Vivaldi. How are you doing? Greetings, everyone. I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good. Glad to hear that. Thank you for joining me. So yeah, uh, where to start? I mean, for, for those that don't know, I mean, you're you're an amazing guitar player, number one. Philanthropist. Yeah, so uh, let, let's... Let's start with where where did you start? I know you started guitar at 15, but what, what drove you to pick up the instrument? What got you into music in the first place? Really, it was Kurt Cobain, man, honestly. That's the guy who, uh, you know, made me want to pick up a guitar and just learn how to write music. And guitar just, you know, with rock music in general, which is what I was much more interested in, just has a so much more of a responsibility with you know, rock music is guitar, you know, mm. every other genre in the world has bass and drums, you know, but not every genre has guitar. So I wanted to be, I wanted to wield the instrument that was most important to getting that type of dynamic out. Being an instrumentalist and doing what I do now was a happy accident. That was never an intention. I never wanted to be like an amazing guitarist. I just wanted to, you know, just be a really good songwriter and, and just be with the, you know, the primary songwriter in a band situation with vocals. Um, yeah, and everything just, you know, happy accidents. So you've got a really nice, you know, signature guitar, which actually my, my friend and I just scoured the DFW area last night. We found one in Guitar Center. Nice. It's <laughs> excellent. So what prompted you, because you, you're an Ibanez user for a while, mm-hmm. what prompted you to go to Chavel? Was that a, a relationship thing or was it more of just they get the, like the, the dinky model was giving mm-hmm. you more what you wanted? You know, it's interesting. So, you know, yeah, I was with uh, Ibanez for about like eight years previous, you know, to me with Charvel. And, um, you know, we did great things, you know. But when it came time to leave, I think it was a multitude of things, you know. Um, if I'm being honest, you know, when it comes to like a lot of it, you know, I think with most people that I'm a, that I'm friends with, it's always relationships, right? It's always like, you know, how cool are you with this person representing this brand or whatever, you know, and the mm. artist kind of just, you know, can deal with whatever. Cause all the, listen, there's a million amazing guitars out there. You know, you'll make it work. Right. But you know, with Charvel, it was a couple of things. So when I had left Ibanez, I didn't make an announcement that I had left. It, it was one of those situations where like, you know, the sharks smell the blood in the water. So I started getting emails from, you know, all sorts of brands. And, you know, I had a couple of comparisons in the house. also you know, PRS and Jackson and Charvel. And when it came to the Jackson and Charvel, you know, I had to really think about it because I knew that there was some level of shock value to me leaving Ibanez. You know, it was kind of mm. like, you know, your brand is so, especially with guitarists, you know, the the axe that you wield is such a big part of your brand. And mm. when you're mixing both brands, it has to kind of make sense, you know? So, you know, I started just thinking in my mind that what have other very successful artists who have left companies that they established some great things with, what did they do, you know? And I kind of, when I think about that, I always 
do a spin of how I would do their method. You know, it's the same way, like, you know, how I learned to release an album cycle. You know, I watched mm. Kill Switch Engage and saw when did they change their MySpace layout and when did they do this? And I was like, okay, I understand the blueprint of what it, you know, what mm. what's going on. So the more I thought about it, you know, it just made, like, well, first of all, like, they sent me a DK24L, like, the limited edition red and black guitar, and, man, it was a six-string, and for whatever reason, I was just obsessed with this fucking guitar. I just was playing it all the time, and mind you, I had gorgeous comparisons. I had so many amazing instruments here, but for some reason, dude, like, I just kept playing this guitar. It just Mm. felt great, and the more I thought about it, I'm like, you know what, man, like, if I were to go to, like, Keysole... Or ESP, like that's predictable, man. That is so predictable and safe. It's like, okay, yeah, you know. But Charvel, hmm, you know, there's something different here. It's very much like, you know, like when John Bertucci left Ibanez, you know, he went to Ernie Ball and no one gave a fuck about Ernie Ball until, you know, he joined up. You know, they had Steve Morris, but I mean, come on, let's be real, <laughs> you know? Right. So, like, when it came to Charvel, I was like, you know what, man? And, and you know, they didn't offer me a signature off the bat at all, you know? Mm-hmm. And I I assumed that, you know, it was be, it would be something that I would earn over two years, you know, or something like that, which is essentially what I spoke to everyone. Eventually, I would like to have a signature guitar only because I feel like I have a lot of unique ideas that would really benefit a lot of guitarists, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think we I, I posted a, a photo of my first you know, they just built me a prototype really quick, like three weeks, man. And then um, I toured Europe with that guitar. And when you tour it, man, like with a guitar, that's when you really understand, you know, how you want to revise it. But when I got back from that tour, I posted a photo online and then Charvel reposted it. And the fucking internet went nuts, man. It was, that's that's Betty? That's, uh no, that's, uh if you're going by names, that would be Rue. Rue was... The first the prototype, one. yeah. But Rue okay. went through some changes. Like when I first got her, it was black and gold for the dopamine video. Then I had her redone in green and gold for the serotonin video. And then she got the neck done, you know, three or four different variations of that just to get it mm. perfect. But Betty was the second one, the second prototype. And that's like, that was one of those, money is not an issue. Let's just do the most decadently gorgeous guitar that, that, that is gorgeous. Oh, thank you so much, man. I, I absolutely love playing that guitar. Minus the bridge. The bridge, oh, God. We, we won't talk about the bridge. I'm not a fan <laughs> of that bridge at all. And I ruined okay. it. And the guys at Charvel told me, too. They were like, you sure you want this bridge? And I was like, yeah. Oh, God. Regret. But um, that aside, it is a beautiful guitar. But long story short, I think that, you know, it, it was the you know, the internet's reaction to the prototypes. And initially we were talking about just doing a limited production run, which typically oh. they do. You know, like when Guthrie got his, you know, it was a limited run and then they made it into a production model. Mine, I, to my knowledge, um, maybe Gojira's as well, uh, Joe Duplinder, um, was the fir- one of the first that I'm aware of that just went straight into production, which mm. was, my God, you know, be still my heart. Like, you know, it was very, it was quite, it is still quite an honor, man. You know, now we're on signature guitar number three. <laughs> you know, it's, it's absolutely the six string. Yeah, yeah, we're doing the six string, and um, and even that was very methodical. Like, you know, I just put thought into as as many aspects of my career as possible. You know, and I didn't want to release a six string just to release a six string. You know, it's a mm. signature series, and I had to have a purpose for it. And the purpose for it was beautifully timed with my new record, which is all six string. <laughs> you know, okay, it's all six string. It's a lot of acoustic guitar. It's a lot of world music. Um. Which I guess brings me back to your original question of, you know, uh, you know, how I started with, you know, with Nirvana. 
the first ever musical situation I ever played in was at church, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, it taught me a lot of when to play and when not to play. And um, a lot of those influences from that era, you know, wind up seeping into the new record. So, yeah, I'm definitely excited about it. Awesome. And this is this Away With Words Part 2? Yes, correct. Okay. I was going to ask when, so is there a release date yet? Not yet, no. Uh, we're entering the studio uh, to track uh, some drums in approximately two weeks. There's still a couple of little sections uh, lead-wise that I have to finish, but you know, for the majority, the record uh-huh. is done. Yeah. Awesome. Just quickly on the signature, is is there a, a huge difference between the um, production and the custom shop? Because I noticed the jack input's different. It was. I think it's on the side of the production, but on yours, it's kind of like a bevel. Yeah, so um, the initial prototype that I had, um, actually Chip Ellis, uh, who did a lot of like you know Eddie Van Halen stuff, mm-hmm. he was the one that came up with the idea of the side-mounted oval output jack, and that's like with the DK twenty four, just like a slant, and you know, mm. and I loved the look of that. I was like, man, what an innovative way to like you know implement an input jack, right? And I was like, yeah, I want that on the production model. And then when I went to tour Europe, I was like, I do not want this on any guitar ever because I have really big legs. And what happens is it's like, and and I'm very animated on stage. So what was happening was the cable was starting to jab me in my right thigh every single time, um, which I, oh my God, I I just, it just became such a nuisance. Um, So on mine, it's pretty standard. You know, it's just like on Uh my input jack now on the production models is, Kind of like any other guitar, you know, it's just on the side and the bottom. Yeah, because Guthrie's got the oval one kind of pointed up to the strap. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of putting together a pot strat, and I think I'm gonna attempt to drill <laughs> in that angle, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. You've done uh, a couple of singles, Wave of Synergy and Triple Helix, with a couple of guests. Uh, guitar players mm-hmm. was that kind of just to keep the momentum going of you know getting stuff out in in people's you know faces because obviously everyone's got a five minute attention span these yeah, days yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> it was a a couple of reasons why i did the singles and any single well i guess those two in particular wave of synergy when i tour i love to do what i call tour singles to mm. you know really promote the tour i like to try to get the artists that i'm on tour with okay you know, so Wave of Synergy, I was touring with Annie James in Europe, and then we did another tour. Well, the first Guitar Collective tour that I put together was uh, was in the States. It was uh, me, Annie James, and Skill the Summit. And mm-hmm. um, so that was that single was really to push that. And Annie, uh, you know, shared a lot of the same fan base. You know, they always wanted to see us on, you know, together on a song. So we made that happen. And then uh, with Triple Helix, that was more of a... Um, you know, I guess it was a little bit of, you know, just keeping the momentum only because I knew it was going to be a number of years before I got a new record out. But also mm. it was it kind of tied into the release of the Stealth Nova, which was the second production model that we did with, with Charvel. And that was the first time I featured that with the Goto Bridge, you know, because there's there was a lot of back and forth as far as like the first prototype changing in so many colors. It confused a lot of people. They're just like, mm. you know, but I like to um, I don't I don't need more like I honestly just need like two guitar well maybe three now because i play six and that's it like i don't like to have a lot of guitars i don't like to have anything more than what i need so when they were like we'll just make you another green one i'm like no 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 no. just please take this black one and just i just need it redone in the green and they're like you sure i'm like yes please absolutely you know because i know i'm not going to play the other one (laughs) (laughs) you know and um and yeah so uh so yeah the triple helix was really just to push that and 
again, I, you know, Cole Rowland's one of my best friends in the industry, and, and, you know, we share a lot of fans too, and we wanted to put that together. But Triple Helix in particular went through a number of intentions. So uh, the first intention of it was a tour single for the Guitar Collective 2018. It was going to be me, Nita Strauss, and originally Rusty Cooley was supposed to do that tour. Okay. And, um, and for whatever reason, you know, R- Rusty couldn't get it together to, you know, work on the song or do the tour, unfortunately. And then it went to, oh, the other project that we had in the midst, we were talking about it was me and Andy James were going to do a full EP together. And then unfortunately that never manifested. Our schedules were just like so topsy-turvy. And then when I find, I was just like, oh, well, I, I'm going to just release a single. Because I mean, like my leads are done and they're sick. <laughs> I was so super proud of those leads, man. Because I busted my ass on those leads. And then, um, you know, I had some sections that were open for a guest. And I like to put guests like, um, you know, for singles, I like to do it with a guest. You know, make it really fun and, and kind of something that the fans always wanted to see happen. But yeah, man, you know, so it, it like it went through a couple of iterations. But it finally got out there and I'm really happy with it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Yeah, I mean, speaking of Nita, uh, so she is related to Nita, the, the Strauss, the composer. She sure is. I just wondered, is Val- Valdi uh, your real last name? And I, and if so, are you related? Yeah, it is my real name, but I'm not related. As far as I know, as far as I know, but I never really did, did like the digging <laughs> to figure it out, you know? But uh, yeah, possibly, who knows? <laughs> I mean, the, world, the world's getting smaller and smaller. You never know. It truly is. Get get your DNA test done, and you you may find out you are. <laughs> so, let's see. Oh yeah, I, one thing I did want to touch on: you seem to have a, a plethora of foodie references to describe music. A foodie reference? Okay. I don't know. I don't really have a, a question. It's just an observation. But like, I, I read all these metaphors, like music is a fine wine, and all yeah. this kind of stuff. I guess my question is: Do you do you feel that what I've kind of noticed is the is the guitar heroes or the or the the people that are coming out are getting popular now? Mm-hmm. Like the next wave, you know, you got your your Satriani and Petrucci's or kind of the older generation now, but mm-hmm. the newer generation aren't really new. They're kind of a bit younger than me. I'm in my forties, but like the thirty fives and up. Do you think that's mm-hmm. just because it takes that long to kind of hone your craft and and really get to the point where you're I mean there are there are obviously young people that are really good but to get to that level even like you got Nick Johnston or or like Guthrie's in his 50s you know it's just I mean even Satriani didn't start till his first album didn't come out what when he was 40 so yeah yeah a little bit later um you know the interesting thing I I mean it's a very case-to-case basis isn't it you know Look at Meshuggah. You know, they've been around since, uh, you know, the 90s. And just over like, the past 10 years, 12 years, they, they really took the entire genre over, you know? So mm. there is something to be said about some level of persistence. And there's also certain something to be said about timing of the genre that you're playing, you know? So, mm. like, I started doing this instrumental music in 2003, right? So that was pretty early in realm, and I guess compared to how popular it is now, you know? And I didn't start seeing, like, my, you know, I can only relate it to my success and the success of my friends that I've seen in the industry. Like, mine was very, very gradual, you know. It was very mm. much slow turtle wins the race kind of thing, you know. And every release was very gradual. And, and thankfully, you know, it, it's still on that momentum, which I'm very, very grateful for. I count my blessings every day. Um, where, you know, as other people, they just happen to something new that's very 
you know, relevant right now, you know, like Polyphy is a good example, actually. Hmm. So like, you know, their whole approach with, you know, um, infusing a lot of the mainstream aspects of mainstream media, you know, in with, you know, a sense of controlled virtuosity in a, in a more neo-soul kind of like, or you know, kind of approach. Very, very relatable right now, obviously, you know, especially with all the trends in guitar happening. So it is a matter of timing, and they obviously blew up very, very quickly. It was just like, mm. wow, right? And with that, it's like a ripple effect when that happens, where the influence kind of spreads out amongst other genres of, well, rather, other generations of guitarists. So, like you said, you know, with the older generation, like the hierarchy, I would, I would say, you know, if you were to, you know, give a summary. You know, you had like the '80s guys, uh, you know, Ingve, Eddie Van Halen, Vi, um, and then like the next, I think, iteration would maybe be like you know, Jeff Loomis, John Petrucci, um, you know, that, and then it would be like, you know, me, Animals as Leaders, Plenty, uh, Intervals, um, mm-hmm. and then from there, you know, like, oh God, I shudder to say it, but like, I, I think. I don't know. Then there's like I guess that the age of like the Instagram guitars, you know, where mm-hmm. there's so many of them, like they're fucked, dude. You know, <laughs> to try to make a career doing this, man, is like, damn, it's gonna be so hard for them. It's so hard for them because again, that ripple effect. You have to understand the timing of when that ripple effect is happening. It's happening yep. between the years of 2018, well, rather let's say 2016 and to 2021. You know, it's like that is. It's it's ha- it happened in an age where everything is so easy to do. It's easy to learn how to do the things that you want to do that you see your guitar heroes doing. You know, mm. whoever they may be, because you have YouTube just giving you free guitar lessons, right? Yep. We didn't have that shit, so <laughs> we just had to figure it out. And that's you know, another thing too. I said in, in a previous podcast was you know uh, my gen- I'm 35, so like my generation, you know, once we ke- once we were ready to come out to show what we were doing like we were already we were kind of seasoned behind closed doors because there was no cameras just readily available like Mm. that you know to that to that quality so you really had to go out of your way but once but like i feel like all that time was spent just like kind of honing our craft behind closed doors and once we were ready boom you know whereas younger generations now in order to gain the following that they need for longevity they have to show their progress publicly you know so like if you see a lot of these instagram guitars and you go back to like 2014 2015 and you see them as kids kind of figuring it out you know in a couple years you know it's like oh my god the insane amount of progress and then it for people like in my generation it really lights a fire under our ass because it's really easy to get complacent right Mm -hmm. so it's like oh my god no i I, it's like i don't want to do that that's not the language that really resonates with me but i really have to start like putting in the work again on a different level, you know? And mm. that work can be on your phrasing. It could be on your songwriting, which will never go out of, ever go out of style. Right. Um, it could be about your branding. You know, it could be about how you interact with your fans. It could, you know, leveling that up for our generation who, you know, oftentimes are like all oh, those little young, you know, no, 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 you know, it's like, guys, thank God for them, man, for a number of reasons. A, they're inspiring us, whether you feel envious or not, or want to admit it. But number two, they are opening up a whole new demographic of fans that are going to find us, you know? So, mm. like, I'm a very competitive person, but it wasn't until, like, I got in my, like, early 30s that I realized, 
the best way to compete. And my mentality over the past couple of years is like, fuck, man, I hope we all make it. I hope we mm-hmm. all make it because we are in such a niche. It's like a shallow lake, you know, and we're all fish that are able to keep our heads on the water and sustain our life, you know, <laughs> to have a mm-hmm. career in music. But, you know, at the same time, you have all these fish like yelling at the top of our lungs, like, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. It's like, what's going to make your voice carry over, you know, all the other fish, right? Is you have to say something unique, and you have to right. reinvent yourself in, in in creative ways that that are going to serve your art in a way that's interesting and captivating, right? And everyone's got their own little thing of how they do. You know, I got my thing. You know, uh, Tosin Abasi has his, and you know, Steve Vai still has his, right? Mm-hmm. But but no, it, it's an interesting topic to you know to, to delve into because when you, when you understand the psychology of you know just just your own you know, uh, thought process of where you get your inspiration from, because a lot of people our mm-hmm. age are kind of like, oh man, there's no, there's no guitar heroes these days. I'll, you hear that a lot with 80s guys. Mm-hmm. A lot of 80s guys say that shit. They're like, there's no guitar heroes these days. I'm like, sit your old ass down, please, because you're just, that just shows that you're so incredibly out of touch that y- you can't keep up because of your attitude. You know, right. or they're in denial about how incredible Tosin Abasi is, and they just don't want to publicly admit it. You know, like these are possibilities, yeah. man. This is how this is how, this this is how humans operate, man. Especially mm-hmm. men. Men, we're very competitive. Now it's interesting because the female guitar community, not like that so much. Not like that so much. Right. They are very much more along the lines of supporting each other and being mm-hmm. really fucking cool with one another. And they all know each other and they all hang out at NAM and they all do these wonderful things together. Men, we, we're the ones that fuck it up. <laughs> you know? It's just like, and the older the men get, the worse it gets, you know? And I never want to be that. I never want to be that, man. It's just like, you know, so it's important, especially if you want longevity in this career, you have to know what's happening. Not because that you want to jump on the train, but more just to inspire you to just avoid being complacent, you know, and taking your success for granted. Mm. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. That's yeah, it's a great insight into um, you know, just just how how widespread the uh you know, the noise of, of getting your, yourself out there. But it, it's you know, it's be you, be the best version you of yourself you can. Yeah, 100%, man. Like, if I could tattoo that across my chest, I would. Because, you know, especially if you're the type of person, like, like me, oh, my God. Like, I, I, when you have a career in this industry in 2021, like, you spread yourself so thin, there's very little mm-hmm. to no time to be a fake person, you know? Like, right. I am very much myself in every situation. Like, every podcast, every video, every interview, every, like, you see me down the street, like, I am not a different person. Like I am the same way I'm talking to you is exactly how I talk to my best friend, exactly how I talk to my family. Like I am, there's, you know, there's always versions of us that, you know, that are different, but to, for the, but the core nucleus of it, man, it's just, it's just easier. Like don't fake it, you know, and the better person you are, the, the, you know, the better people, you know, enjoy you, you know, mm-hmm. and the more people enjoy you, the more inclined they're, maybe willing to help you through your career. Now that that's a reason to be a good person, I mean, Jesus Christ, but I mean, you know, it's it's something where like my main mission, regardless of whether it's through the medium of art or music or whatever, 
I just want to make people feel good, man. You know, like whether mm. it's saying something that resonates with someone in a post or in a caption or in an interview or whatever, or through a lick or through a concept of a record, man, or through something I wear, like, fuck, I'm just trying to make people feel good, dude. <laughs> that That's a nice segue into, uh, you know, talking about the best version of you, uh, your uh, alter ego, Nova Gina. Oh yes, yes. That was that was hilarious. You know what's really funny? Um, is it? I mean, is there a is there a plan for that? As far as any other kind of, I know it was like a photo shoot for the guitar, but yeah. is is there any kind of, I don't know, concept record or anything you've got in the back of your head for that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, she's making a comeback. She's gonna make an appearance on Away with Words Part Two. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, is funny. You know, the, so the this. The saddest thing is, okay, so like that's a good example of putting like a, like dude, I I strategized that photo shoot for god, probably 8 months mm. of just thinking of what I'm going to look like, you know, cuz I I I love I watch a lot of makeup tutorials and I follow a lot of drag queens, so I know to mm-hmm. the level that the bar is set in that oh, world. Yeah. And I'm not going to do it to be passable. No, 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 no. I want to come out of the gate like I've been doing this shit for years. Um, and that's the first time I've ever done it, you know, to that extent. Mm. But uh, but I, it was very upsetting that I had to explain the pun to so many people. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> Dude, it broke my heart. I was like, you know, the whole reason I did it was like, obviously for, you know, the, uh, the Stealth Nova uh, Charvel campaign and the whole concept for that was yin and yang just like the concept for Away With right. Words part one and part two yin and yang and um, and I was thinking like the reason why I'm doing this is because of the Nova and I remember I was driving to the gym and I was like Nova Jana that is the like I pulled over and I called like five people and I, and I literally the first thing I said was because I was really I, I was getting nervous because it was like coming down to the wire and I needed a drag name and I just picked up the phone and I was just like, no vagina. Every single person was just like, who are you? Who are you? What that is literally. (laughs) Because it's not a matter. Because here's the thing too. And I knew that, listen, again, I I knew that honoring that idea to the extent that I did was going to, it's at a risk, right? That's a very, Mm -hmm. that's not something that's done, right? And, but again, just honoring the idea, I I didn't care. But I also wanted—I didn't want to make people—I—I—I didn't want to make people feel uncomfortable. You know, I Mm. wanted them to understand the purpose of me doing it is not for shits and giggles because I'm bored. No, this is to honor an idea. You know, Mm. this isn't—I—I don't really have a desire to be a drag performer. You know, getting into that makeup was a lot of work, man. I—it gave me a lot of respect for the people that that do it. Um, and it's expensive. Holy shit, the amount of money I spent on that. But. You know, um, yeah, but she is making an appearance on Away With Words Part 2 for, the, again, same concept of yin and yang, you know. So, yeah, that's going to be, uh, yeah, I'm announcing that soon. No one knows. They just think it's like for a photo shoot. And I did an Instagram for her, you know, just for shits and giggles. But, right. But, yeah, yeah, man. That's a funny. That's awesome. You brought that up. <laughs> so, yeah, going going on to kind of the th- that, that kind of uh, photo shoot idea, uh, Crystal Planet, I mean, probably my favorite Satriani album. Mm-hmm. Uh, quick pun, though. Why didn't you do Train of Angels? Ah. Okay. <laughs> good point. Very good point. I guess the whole thing with Crystal Planet was this. is um, The whole thing with Crystal Planet was I liked the song, but there's mm. no rhythm and guitar on it, right? On his version. 
it's there's it's mostly just bass okay. and keyboards, right? Yep. Okay. And me, dude, I am a rhythm guitarist above and beyond anything. Like I would like people would argue with me, but I am so much better of a rhythm guitarist than I am a lead guitarist. Like especially when it comes to playing on time, mm-hmm. like my right hand, like I just. I guess it was playing at church, man, because that's all I was playing. It was really rhythm. Mm-hmm. And, and I never, when I was going into lead, I never played with a metronome ever. I just raw dogged it, man. Um, and I still do. I mean, I obviously on records, but I digress. But with Crystal Planet, you know, I was like, this song is cool. It's really popular. People know it. But man, this is an opportunity to write some sick rhythms over this song, you know? And that's what I feel really brought my version to life was not the leads. I mean, they're good you know, because he wrote them, <laughs> you know? Right. But I mean, it's the rhythm guitar that shines for me. And I think for the leads in that single, I wanted it to be Angel Vivaldi interpreting Marty Friedman's interpretation of Crystal Planet, you know? So like the okay. half-step bends and the exaggerated bends, which is not a strong suit of mine, let me tell you. <laughs> but uh, that's how I wanted to approach it because... He has these weird bends in there that are Marty-esque, but I wanted to exaggerate that a little bit more because the rhythms kind of give... It it makes the song lean forward a little bit more. Yeah. So having that tension, man, having the tension and then the release with the resolve is just, oh, you know. um, But yeah, man, Train of Angels. Damn. (laughs) Missed opportunity. The, oh, and the other little mention I, I was going to say is uh, the Carnifex solo you did for World War X is Ooh. very Loomish. Yeah, I can see very, that for sure. Very Jeff Loomis kind of. I've been I've been on a Loomis kick uh, for the last couple of weeks, and I, I'm like, oh, there's some there's some really Jeff Loomisy stuff in there. Yeah, so I think that, anytime, that came out really nice. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I think uh, you know it's interesting. I think anytime you kind of go into like. Phrygian dominance Malmsteen. Anytime you go into harmonic minor, it's it's Loomis, mm. you know? Like he has this sure. very especially with, with Nevermore, he had this he just had like this this kind of diminished, slightly dissonant, but he comes up for air in such a melodic way. Mm. You know, if you just the song Born, Jesus fucking Christ, man. Like it just it's so it's such it's it's ex, I don't even know, man. Like the melody and everything is just so exquisite and Mm. perfect you know um but uh, yeah you know anytime i've done a guest solo you know and i've done my god a number of them and i only know that because uh we're putting out a tab book we're doing three singles uh crystal planet we have a synergy and um triple helix and i'm also doing 10 guest solos because my god everyone asked me for tabs for every guest solo and i was going through them and i was just like my god i have literally like 60 guest solos like throughout my career wow. right so i'm like i can't tab all these that's why i just chose 10 you know uh the carnifex one being one of them and you know the thing is when you're doing a guest solo there's an aspect of the reason why they're going to you right so they obviously go to like even when i ask for someone you know whether it be nita or guest gus g or anyone to do a guest solo for me or ollie herbert you know, may he rest in peace. Uh, it, there's a reason why, you know, like I chose Nita for serotonin because that song is catered to her style and her energy. Gus G uh, catered to his style and his energy. Ollie Herbert catered to his style and his energy because I don't want anyone working on a song of mine going, oh man, this is hard. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want someone struggling. I want someone to really fucking enjoy the experience. Uh, and 
I want it to be really seamless for them, you know? So, but my guess is like, I've gotten a number of like, you know, like Carnifex, like that's quite different, you know? Oh yeah. But there's a matter of honoring whatever song you're doing, man, you know? So I tend to change my style to, it's like, the death metal version of me, you know? And then if I'm soloing over something like that Covet did or Yvette Young did, like I'm going to solo very eloquently, like I, like I'm planting flowers, you know? Whereas where I'm with Carnifex, like I have this image that I'm in the depths of hell, like scratching my way out, you know? And it really resembles that, I think, melodically. That reminds me of a Mustaine cu- quote about Muddy Friedman. Mm. He said... Uh, you know, Marty's Marty's role in Megadeth at the time was, you know, uh, carving on eight eight symbols into the trees, whereas my solos are just hacking my way through the forest. Ah, that's a beautiful analogy. I love that. Mm. I love that. Yeah, because he he definitely puts a lot of care and craft into you know what he does, and it's very oh, much yeah. him. You know, it's him immediately, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just just a quick aside. Uh, I saw him on uh, when in Boston uh, a few years ago. I have never seen so many camera phones pulled out until when when he started playing the Tornado of Souls so- solo. I'm like, so wow. <laughs> let's expand on that for a second. So we, when I'm gonna I do... pull out the uh, <laughs> well, the video. <laughs> so when we did uh the Guitar Club 2018 tour, so um you know that's pretty much like my modern G3, right? So. Uh, the last tour was me, Anita Strauss, and Jackie Vincent. If you don't know who Jackie Vincent guy is, you have to check this guy out. He's fucking unbelievable. And listen, I don't want to fucking hear Little Wing. I don't want to hear any of those fucking old school jams. I don't want to hear any of it. We did Tornado of Souls. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're like, that's vintage to the new school, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we did the Tornado of Souls jam. And, uh, you know, I, I took the first solo, and, man, that was a lot of pressure. But holy shit, the same thing, dude. The second I played, every phone was out. Every phone was out. And, like, that, like, I would give myself credit. I would say, out of all the dates, I was super on maybe 82.5%, where I got every fucking bend, like, stupidly perfect. I mean, but I had my honker nights too, you know? And the honker nights, man, were a couple of times where I saw every phone out and I was like, no! (laughs) It's a lot of pressure, man. That solo is a lot Mm -hmm. of responsibility. You don't fuck with that solo, you know? Like, you play it as is. I mean, God, yeah, but what a beautifully written... I mean, God, a lot of his work with Megadeth. I mean, just incredible, man. Absolutely. Um, Do you mind talking about what happened on that tour Did, was it that one? Oh, no it wasn't that one it was the melodic dissonance the melodic tour? decadence tour yeah decadence man. oh god well we'll put it like this um i've been touring since 2015 and out of and i've toured a lot it was three years every three months for three years it was a mm. lot of fucking touring and um i i haven't had the best luck touring <laughs> You know, because I'm a very, I'm a very cheerful person and I try to always see the good in people, you know, and I just made a lot of mistakes and I guess just hiring the wrong people and, you know, I guess like giving people a shot that probably aren't best suited to do certain things. Hmm. And, um, that was a tour where that happened and 
the only solution to remedy that tour because listen, as long as I'm a tall and able, I won't cancel a date. I won't cancel a tour, you know, especially when, you know, fans are looking forward to seeing me, you know? Mm. So instead of canceling the tour, I decided, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do the rest of the tour by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so and this wasn't against anyone in my band like so anthony Brown was playing drums with me and like i love that boy so much he's an incredible fucking drummer man and he's he toured with me you know two tours after that i believe and the basis like everyone in my camp was fucking awesome man so it was a real shame that we couldn't do the tour to how i initially intended it to to be done but so yeah i i uh i sent all my gear home i sent the guys home and uh, I kept half my light show. It was just me and a tour manager driving in a fucking Nissan Armada across the country, you know, every day for like, I think uh. we did three weeks of that tour like that. And, you know, but I, I'll say one thing, man. My fans are fucking cool. They're so cool. The interesting thing is, too, is like they're very, they're very, um, you know, they're inquisitive. They're people, like, you know, whenever I do a concept record, like, a lot of them know what's up already. You know, they're very highly intelligent, aware human beings, you know, and they get it, you know, like they, they, they truly understand. I mean, obviously a, a good amount of them are musicians themselves, so they understand, but they're just grateful, man. They're just grateful that I'm out there yeah. doing it and I'm grateful that they're grateful for it. You know, it's like a big circle jerk of gratefulness, but I mean, <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> but it's true, man. It's like, I, I don't, it, they're just so incredible and, you know, when I made the announcement of like, you know, uh, what was happening with that tour, you know, everyone, everyone like, you know, was just like messaging me like, what do you need? What mm. do you need? You know, drummers, I'll learn your set right now. You know, like guitars, whatever. Like it was just so it just blew me away, man. Um, so that tour was was a little crazy. So that was summer of 2018. And then I did the tour in the winter, the guitar collective tour in 2018 and that was um listen in, in our camp it was great me nita and jackie we got along famously it was incredible but that tour almost put the other tour to shame <laughs> wow <laughs> because it's like you know and, and like you like you learn to vet things out right you learn all right i fucked up i i brought this type of person you know this personality type doesn't get along with this personality type i have to keep these things you know they're yellow and their red make a really shit orange, man. You know? All right. So let me take that into consideration. So I decided to, like, you know, I'm going to hire some A-list motherfuckers, you know? No. It doesn't matter what level or how much you're paying someone. You're not no. going to change someone's temperament. I'll, I'll summarize the experience like this. Boise, Idaho. We did three... There was, like, 300-something people that night. And... um the person we had doing <laughs> person we had doing sound he worked with one of everyone's favorite guitar heroes i will never name names but you think a list like holy shit my tour is safe no tina marie it was not so this individual could not figure out how to use a behringer x32 board that we had on the tour with us because this person's used to you know avid boards and okay. he refused to learn how to navigate this board so at the end of my show i bring everyone up for our little tornado of souls jam you know nice big grand finale so 
All right, let's bring Jackie Vincent up. Yeah. Let's bring Nita Strauss up. Yeah. And Nita's going, you know, she's trying to play, get a little clink, some type of, no sound, no sound. And the corner of my eye, I see him like, you know. <laughs> so while he's figuring this out, it turns into, you know, Angel of Aldi doing 20 minutes of stand-up comedy. And yo, thank God I was on that night because God help me. God help me. Like, like every 30 seconds, there was a new army of like a, a new front line of beads of sweat just running down my face in anxiety. But um, but the crowd was loving it, which was great. So the videographer that we had on the tour, he was videoing the whole thing because he's like, this is fucking gold. <laughs> Holy shit. But it got to the point where I knew that he knew the X32 board because he used to do sound at some venues, you know, back in the day. So... I called him over to me. I'm like, dude, you got to stop filming, man. You got to help this guy out. So the second that I tell him this, I see in the corner of my eye, the the guy in the soundboard, he goes, fuck this. I could read his lips. Fuck this. He turns around and deserts us in the wow. middle of a fucking show, dude. And this is supposed to be an A-list guy, right? <laughs> okay? So... It turns out when my buddy went out to the sound, all he had to do was go to the next set of channels because it's 16 channel physical faders. You hit yep. the arrow and it's the next 16. All he had to do was unmute her. That was it. That was it. <laughs> so like, yeah, man, that, that tour was, was really like, oh my God. But we did the thing, the difference with that tour was that we went through those struggles together. You yeah. know, we went through those struggles together and it wasn't like a lone ranger, ranger situation like when it was just mm. me, you know, like we went through them together. And like anything else in life, whenever you go through something with someone like you really do bond, you know, you really do yeah. bond over those experiences. And as crazy as it was, um, you know, it, it, it was what it was, you know, and you live and learn, man. You live and learn. I, I will say I I think one day I will likely write a book of every single tour I've been on because mm -hmm. out of all the out of every single tour I've been on there have been this one that went off without a hitch one that went off without a hitch and that's a lot of tours man mm. you know and it's not a matter of like it's not always an interpersonal situation either you know it's just a matter of the situations that arise like you know getting stuck in the middle of nowhere in Canada and there's a snowstorm and your car, your van and your, and your trailer are stuck and you have to go and get a fucking bulldozer down the street. Like literally that's, it's in a tour documentary. Mm -hmm. It did in 2016, like shit like that. You know, that's just like, what in the, I can't even fictionally write this. Like what is happening? You know, I think if people get a kick out of it, but hopefully if I, I think they do. Yeah, I think hopefully if and when I do that, they'll not only get a kick out of it, but they'll maybe learn a little something. <laughs> right, for sure. Yeah, I know. I wanted to bring up uh, how, you know, I really appreciate the positive comments you put out there and, you know, things like don't hate on music, you know, being great. I, I saw uh, an older post where you'd put your, your uh, XFX rig and you were like basically saying, you know, gratitude to where I am. And it, it, it's, I really appreciate you know, putting that energy out. Mm -hmm. Are you comfortable talking about your friend with ALS? Oh, of course, yeah. My guy, Richie. Because, yeah, so I wanted to bring that up because my uncle actually passed away from ALS a few years ago as well. Oh, so dude, I appreciate, I'm sorry, you know, man. Yeah. Oh, thank you. 
I appreciate, you know, all the work you put into, you know, that and other and obviously other charities and things like that. But mm-hmm. uh, would you mind, you know, just just talking about that story? Yeah, man, I, I, I love talking about the story, man, because. So, yeah, my, my buddy Rich and I, you know, uh, his name is Rich Forsalati. Um, you know, he was quite young, you know, when he passed away, he was like 35. Um, mm-hmm. And he had a rare situation with ALS where obviously for those who know Jason Becker, you know, he's been living with ALS for decades now, you know, because the last, in typical cases, the last thing that goes is the respiratory system. Mm-hmm. Rich had a rare case where the respiratory system was the first thing that was going. So, you know, he was diagnosed in May and passed away in December. So That's quick. to give you an idea how quick it was. But yeah, man, you know, he, he was the kind of, he was honestly the person that taught me to see the good in people, you know, because mm. um, me personally, never, I didn't really have like the best uh, upbringing, you know, very, very poor and, and poor minded individuals, you know, were raising me. So, you know, naturally you have trust issues when you go through those experience, but the truly God deems still my heart. I mean, he, that's the one thing he really taught me was just like, you know, yeah, people do shitty things, you know, but mm. just focus on the good in people. And, and I, and I really kept that to heart, man. And I'll give him credit, man. I will say he went out like a badass. He chose the time and date. He's like, I remember when he had the, um, so where we lived, there was uh, an association that kind of helped, you know, people in these situations. And, you know, his vital lung capacity was at around 5%, you know, uh. he was on the ventilator. He, it was to the point where he couldn't use, it was getting to the point where he couldn't use his hands. I don't know how advanced your uncle was before he passed. But uh, once he couldn't use his hands, because he's like, we would nerd out with technology, you know, um, once he couldn't use his hands, he's like, I-, I can't live like this anymore. This is this is just too much. I have to just, you know, honor the fact that I'm sick and, you know, mm. just honor the fact that my time's up. So I remember when he had the meeting, I would leave work and just like, you know, hang out with him and just like, you know, make him lunch and the whole nine. And he had the meeting in the other room and they came out and he wheeled himself out. And he's like, Wednesday at six. And I was like, I'll wear something cute, <laughs> you know, like, and, um, and yeah, you know, it was, uh, you know, he had his friends and family there and, and that's it, you know, like he, he was a genuine, a very genuine individual who taught me a good amount of just, you know, just seeing the good man, you know, because that, and that's mm-hmm. the thing too, is like I'm a Buddhist. So the whole Buddhist perspective of like, you know, when you see like a lot of shocking things in the news and things of that nature, the reason why there a lot of these things are shocking is like, for instance, a murder, you know, like in local news, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's a, you know, and that's always, think about how long murders have happened and how many times they've been on the news. You know, the reason it, is because it has a shock value to it. And why does it have a shock value to it? It's because it's not within human nature to do. You understand? Right. So when you think of it like that, you're like, yeah, I guess, you know, people just really tend to fuck up and make mistakes, but it doesn't define their personality. I mean, Lord knows I've made a lot of mistakes. Shit, we're always going to make mistakes, you know? It's just sometimes your intention just doesn't end up being a positive thing even though you ended you intended it to be a positive thing and vice versa just what happened but it's an awful disease to go through man it's such an awful disease and the funny kind of strange thing when he got diagnosed in may um of 2014 that's when the whole ice bucket challenge thing happened so think about the chances of all the diseases in the world right of all the diseases diseases in the world they this one went viral and there hasn't been one that went viral since right right isn't that kind of weird like this weird. so strange but yeah he he was he just did so much for me man and i and i it, we we were 
very close for, I guess, albeit a short amount of time, but my God, dude. Like, I have, you know, I have this picture right here in front of me at all times, you know? So I'm always constantly reminded of him in some way or another, you know? And I'm sure that you're the same way with your uncle, man. Yeah, I mean, my, my issue, my, my uh, regret, it basically is just not being there. You know, because he's in, he was in England and mm-hmm. um, just not being able to help out and, and not being really know what to say to him as well. Yeah, um, he had uh, I, I I'm blanking on the term, mm-hmm. but his his um, voice went first, which is oh. another rare version, and I I can't remember the exact name, but voice and then chewing and then um, breathing, mm-hmm. and then he started losing the rest of his body. So it's kind of the reverse maybe similar maybe that's interesting um, yeah, that yeah. His voice but he was, i mean he was he was walking around fine and talking to people with his tablet mm. you know with the vo- the text to voice app right um but yeah he he started um declining pretty quickly i mean it was probably a year and a half and yeah i could i couldn't even do the ice bucket challenge because it was too emotional at that time he was still alive yeah so. Yeah, for me too. Honestly, like in that year, I, I didn't. I just it was just a little bit too close, you know. <laughs> like for sure. But you know, but then afterward, we did a <clears throat> after he had passed, we did a because uh, I, I got kind of close with. It's, it's just so happens that one of the scientists at um, ALS TDI. Now this is so that you have the ALS Association and then mm-hmm. ALS TDI. ALS TDI is a lab that's actually looking for a cure, whereas ALS Association is more for patient services and kind of making people feel comfortable and giving them resources. Sure. Um, so it just so happened that a, a scientist at ALS TDI was a really big fan of mine, and when they saw you know, that I was talking about Rich and stuff, he reached out and he's just like, listen, anything that we can do, da 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 And I was thinking about it, I was like, well, why don't we do something? Why don't um, you know we, we do like a live like streaming fundraiser kind of thing? You know, so then... Yeah. I did the Shred for ALS uh, live stream. It was me and Chris Letchford. Um, mm-hmm. That was the first time I was actually meeting Chris Letchford too at the time. And we just had an absolute blast. And the concept of that was I didn't want to just do like a, you know, just a stream thing. Again, put thought into things. So the whole thing was I was going to learn two songs of his catalog and he was going to learn two songs in my catalog. I was going to play rhythm for his songs and he was going to play rhythm for mine, you know, which is actually what we did. Right. Then we got all our sponsors involved, you know, Kiso, uh, um, uh, donated the guitar that we can raffle off because he was just Kiesel and um, all our sponsors like we were streaming at the Dunlop and our Facebook and his Facebook and we were just making a big thing. Uh, we raised a couple thousand dollars for them and it was awesome, man. It was really great. I wanted to do another one this year but obviously, you know, well, actually, no, last year because mm. it's been a number of years since we've done anything but um, but yeah, man, they're doing some great work out there in AL- ALS TDI. Getting really close, man. I think there's this one treatment called AT1501 that's showing a lot of promise so let's hope for the best and uh you know hopefully it changes some people's lives yeah that's awesome i'll link that up in the show notes for sure and and i'll I'll actually look into that more myself as well so yeah just moving on to other you know charities and stuff like that i really i really uh, resonate with uh you'd put something in one of your vinyl pressings that you didn't want to really do a vinyl pressing because you didn't want to uh yeah, so you didn't really want to uh, leave a carbon footprint because uh, with your physical media, and that's something I've been thinking about for a really long time. So, mm. is are you are you releasing stuff physically, or you basically said no? We'll put it this way. I mean, like um, I did when I go on tour. Obviously, I print CDs and things like that. I printed a lot of them, and I don't have any intention of printing any more. You mm. know, I mean, I printed a lot of them. I have a lot. Of universal language and synapse and da da da, da you know. I don't have any speed of dark, 
But no, man, I think it's a matter of being conscious of what your business, how your business affects the future of this planet, you know, even if on a small scale, you know, it, but you can't even really, I, I try not to judge this scale so much because, you know, a drop in the ocean still raises the ocean to the sky, right? You know? Sure. So with the vinyl, man, I was just getting hassled and, and just and just like battered by fans, like, you know, because vinyl made such a comeback. You know, and I was thinking, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do a little baby one. <laughs> you know, so the whole intention was to do, uh, you know, just a couple hundred of limited edition run of Synapse, and um, the only reason why I chose that record was because it had some absolutely breathtaking artwork that needed to be on that scale. I was like, oh my god, if there's any record mm-hmm. I'm gonna do, it's gonna be that one. So um, we did that one, but yeah, you know, it, it, even when you tour, you know, it's, in terms of like you know, being very green on the road. So like typically I like to, you know, share as much equipment as possible. So like if I bring my gear, I I tell other bands like, guys, don't bring your cabinets, don't bring whatever. Like it's just going to fuck your, you know, it'll save you money. You know, you won't have as much cargo to to haul, which will result in less emissions in the air. You know, like if we could share a vehicle, that'll be even better. You know, we could share a bandwagon or like a bus, which is what we typically do now. Like we all share the bus together. We share crew. We share members. Just, you know, like there's no plastic bottles allowed on the bus. You know, like you just, you bring your flask and you recycle. We have a um, have a designated area to recycle. And whenever, when, whenever we see like a, because re- in the States, it's really difficult to recycle, man. In Canada, it's so easy when we're touring in Canada because they're everywhere. But in the States, mm. trying to find a, an actual recycle receptacle is, is like, it, it's crazy unless you're like in a major city. But we save all of it, you know, and, and we recycle it properly. Man, there's so many things that, that, that I do, and but I haven't toured in a minute, so it's kind of like escaping me at the moment. But it's a responsibility, you know. Um, mm. I am planning one additional vinyl pressing for Universal Language, and that's only because the 10th year anniversary is happening in May. So it's a very special occasion. Again, a very limited run. I'm only doing a small amount. But yeah, you know, I think it's important just like, you know, just to be conscious of what you're doing and know the ways to be conscious. Like knowing that you're making paper and putting plastic, you know, it's just like, for sure. you know, just put thought into it, you know, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to mm-hmm. affect your future. It's going to affect everyone's future, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I've I've switched to uh, the dry the the uh, laundry sheets. Uh, it's escaping what what they're called now, but they it, instead of being a plastic bottle, it's it's mailed to you. You put the sheet in the uh, washing machine and uh-huh. it dissolves. So, oh, nice. Okay, okay. Super super eco friendly. Yeah, yeah. There's so. been a couple companies like that that just ship you pods in a box. There's no plastic container or anything like that. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's uh, start to wrap it up. I think. Uh, I got a section where I ask the same questions to everyone. Yeah. What is one piece of advice that you would give a musician looking to make a living from music? Get a really good job. <laughs> Get a really good job because this career is very expensive. Expensive in time, expensive in money, expensive in effort. Get yourself a job that can support you and support your career. Awesome. The days of, a, of not having a backup plan are over, my friend. Very, very rare, man. You know, so get yourself a job so that you can take care of yourself and your career. What one resource, book, podcast, blog, would you recommend to artists looking to be successful? Oh, God. Podcasts I don't really listen to. I think, you <sighs> know hurt. what? I know, right? As I say, um, as I'm on a podcast. But I would say, 
I don't really read blogs or books either. I, I, I will say this. Pay attention to what the artists that you love are doing and when they're doing it and how they're doing it. If you're a guitarist, mm. you know, it's like me. I'm a little Eric Johnson. I'm a little Ingve, I'm a little Vi. I'm a little Satriani, right? I'm a little Alex Skolnick. I'm a little Kurt Cobain. You put that on a little cauldron and that's me. It's the same thing in any aspect. It's like, you know, when you're talking about how to brand yourself, you know, you're a little bit of this guy, you're a little bit of this guy, you're a little bit of this guy. All right, I'm going to take what they do and make it work for me, you know. It's like the best thing I could say is like the wise man learns from his mistakes, the wiser man learns from other people's mistakes, but the wisest man learns from other people's success. So just pay attention, you know. It's right there in front of you. Just pay attention. That's awesome. What significant negative experience have you overcome and what did that teach you? Oh my God. What negative experience I had that had a significant impact on me? I think it was being raised by the people that I was raised by. It was um, it was a beautiful example of how not to be a human being. And I was lucky enough when I was young. I mean, you're talking, I'm, I'm a kid, you know, in grade school. I was just lucky enough that I was able to see it and just to be like, damn, man, that is hurting people, dude. Like, I never want to be that. I never want to make someone feel like they're making someone feel or how they're making me feel, you know? Mm. It was a beautiful example of what not to do in life. So some, you know, like my only option was to learn from other people's mistakes, really, you know, whereas, you know, people who are born into a more well-off family, they learn from other people's success. They learn how to be a good person or run a successful business or something like that from their parents you know so mm. definitely definitely i mean i saw the silver lining there man so i'm grateful for that experience awesome thank you for sharing what major positive experience has given you the encouragement to follow this journey i think um you know for me it's when fans send me those long letters about how my music helped them while their kid was dying of cancer or while mm. You know, they were going through a bad breakup when, you know, they were about to kill themselves, when they were fighting drug addiction, when they lose the motivation to wake up in the morning and play guitar or lose the motivation to, you know, be more outspoken about the things that they feel are true or whatever it is. You know, it's that's the fuel to my fire, man. You know, it's mm -hmm. like and 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 any any person in my position we're not always motivated you know what i'm saying i mean like we're not machines we have days we're just like Ugh, just want to be you know a human being and not just this persona or this public figure rather but yeah that that when i read that man it just makes me get up off my ass and again it's just like a cycle of you know of of appreciation you know because i don't want to take anything for granted and i feel like right. sometimes when you get complacent when not it's not when you get complacent when you get when you feel lazy or anything like that you know there's a part of us in the back of our head that just doesn't let us relax because we feel like pieces of shit, you know, and we feel like mm -hmm. we're taking this opportunity for, for granted. And, but when I get comments like that, or whenever I get even a simple comment of a fan that understands my intention, you know, that's the most mm -hmm. frustrating thing for me. It's like a big pet peeve of mine is like, but artists are the ones who are most misunderstood. Right. But, and I understand that, but it's still, you know, cause I go through great lengths to make my intention very, very clear. But it's like when a fan responds in a way that i understand that they understand oh my god be still my heart i love that you know so there's a lot of positive experience and i'm glad that i can you know i have a number of them to kind of like you know to pull from <laughs> that's fantastic uh final question is what does music mean to you i used to say without music i don't know who i am you know 
But like, that's such bullshit. You can't identify yourself by one thing, you know? It's like, and I said this in a, um, I said this in, uh, I think, a, oh, my Charvel demo when we first released guitar, uh, the signature guitar. You know, it's just like I'm so much more than just a guitarist, you know, or a songwriter or a musician, you know, that I have so many things that I'm so incredibly passionate about. I have people that I'm passionate about, you know? Mm-hmm. You're so much more than one thing. And, and I think I said there too, it's like, you know, when when you define yourself only by one thing, you cheapen the privilege of being alive. So music means a lot to me. It is the biggest part of my life. You know, I'm so grateful that I have, you know, I found a home within it, you know. But it doesn't, you know, I wouldn't say, it, I, you know, without it, I don't know who I am. But, man, did it give me more than anything or anyone, you know. It really, it, it gave me a voice to find myself you know and it's it's a nice house man i like it here <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for the uh, uh for your time and and really appreciate you coming on here of course if you could tell everyone where they can find you your music your uh, hilarious outtakes no oh, <laughs> Oh, there's a lot of those for sure, man. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Angel of Aldi official. Uh, YouTube is just Angel of Aldi, and or you can just Google me. I'll pop up everywhere. I'm like a STD at a prison. I'm just everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, and what what song would you like to play at the end of the podcast? Oh man, uh, you can do. Let's. Why don't you guys play five off Away with Words Part One? Okay. Nice little, you know, nice little closer there for you. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Once again, thank you so much. Continued success and uh, yeah. Much obliged, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for, you know, having me on here and uh, yeah. Till next time. Thank you so much for listening. I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform, as this really helps get the word out about the podcast so that other musicians can benefit from the awesome knowledge that my guests are sharing. The more the musicians community collectively learns, the stronger we will all become. A rising tide lifts all ships. Sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Printing Company in Fort Worth, Texas, offering screen printing, embroidery, laser engraving, and a range of other services. Go to theskinnyarmadillo.com to learn how they can help you get your merch business to the next level. Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is Angel Vivaldi from the album Away With Words Part 1. The track is 5. (laughs) 